Yo, yo, we came up with a business as a company of one, working hard to add value, but also having fun, writing newsletters, articles, and launching online courses, living in the woods, where outside window you see horses, taking bread from his computer just to pet one of his rats, yes, his name is Paul Jarvis, and we love him like that. <laughs> yo, yo. So what's up everybody, my name is Sagi, I'm the host of the show and a very bad rapper. My guest this week is someone that I've been following for a long while, actually for years. He's built his business as a company of one and now I brought him here on the show to tell us all about that. He's launched multiple online courses and products for his community and also hosted multiple podcasts, including the joint podcast with Jason Zook called Invisible Office Hours, which was one of my personal favorite podcasts ever. Yes, he's none other than Paul Jarvis. Paul is now also a fresh author of a value-packed book called Company of One, which discusses business growth in these modern times and also how to achieve long-lasting success as an online business. When we recorded this episode, the book was not out yet, but now it's available and you can find it on Amazon and your favorite bookstores. So congrats, Paul, on having this out. We also ran a giveaway in our Facebook community for signed copies that Paul signed himself. So congratulations to Roy, Daniel, Dorothy, Jonathan, Laura, Anna, Jamil, Colin, Jessica, and Fabian for winning the signed copy of the book, which is making its way to you right now. If you'd like to participate in future giveaways and win awesome prizes and also get a lot of value just beside this podcast, also from the community of this podcast, so be sure to check out and join the Mindful and Ruthless group on Facebook. So back to Paul. To those of you who don't know, Paul is a solopreneur. He lives on an island in the woods over at the east of Canada and manages his entire business from home. In this conversation, we get into his process and his mindset when building a long-lasting, sustainable company of one and also creating consistent content for his audience. We also take on questions from the crowd that watch this as we recorded this as a live show in the Mindful Russell's Facebook community. And also we're going to talk about what to do if you're starting from scratch, getting audience, monetizing. Uh, we talk about why growth should always be questioned and why you don't need a tech startup to reach your dream. So ready to begin? Let's get Mindful Ruthless! Let's yo, yo, what's up creative entrepreneurs? Sagi here and welcome to the Mindful and Ruthless podcast. The podcast where we'll talk about online businesses, personal branding, marketing, storytelling, blogging, high achievement, mindfulness, relationships, productivity, and so much more. Everything we need in order to build a life of impact. In order to build a full stack life. So what's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Mindful and Ruthless podcast. And today I have Paul Jarvis with me. Paul, what's up, man? Hey, thanks for having me on, man. It's been a while. Dude, it's totally been a while. So to those of you who don't know, Paul and me, we go way back, you know, way, way back. But it's, it's, it's like four years, I guess, yeah. since we started, right? Can yeah, we? yeah. And I've been, I've been following Paul's stuff for a long while. I actually remember like first subscribing to your emails. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is awesome. You are really like, you're really killing it. Amazing emails, long form content that really provides value. And it's one of the things that grabbed me because like also as a blogger who back then like tried to give value with my Israeli audience and then with my new international audience. Now I'm like, this guy knows what he's doing. Like he's deep in the game. So I really appreciate you, man. Great having you on the show. Yeah, thank you very much. And to those of you who don't know, Paul is not even on Facebook. He's off the grid completely. <laughs> and we mentioned before, like, he's off the grid as well as, like, physically in the world. So <laughs> I live in the woods on an island, so. 
<laughs> in the woods, in an island in Canada, right? Yes. Yeah. And what's the name of the island? Vancouver Island. So I live over from Vancouver, the city, and up from Seattle, the city. So it's on the West okay. Coast. Yeah. It's great. It's awesome, man. The thing about it, I remember we talked once and asked you, like, are you coming to this conference? Uh, I don't remember which conference it was. And you're like, dude, like, in order for me to come to a conference, in order to travel, I have a pre-travel <laughs> to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, it's not, it's not worth it. Even somebody was here visiting last month and their flight got canceled two days in a row because they just, they just weren't flying. <laughs> it's like, all right, <laughs> just stay a few more days. So whatever. That's crazy. So yeah, man, like that, that's awesome. So I wanted to, first of all, mention that in this show, we are having a giveaway. Paul just released the new book, Company of One. Uh, he actually hasn't released it. It's like it's, it hasn't even been released yet. But we do have 10 signed copies for you guys, and we're going to share them in this episode. So first of all, let's talk, about, let's talk about the book. So you launched the book, Company of One, which is what you've been doing for you know, years. That's how you build your business. So like a lot of people launch books be like premature, but this is definitely not premature on your end. It's like definitely like been a long time. You built a sustainable business, killing it with your audience. And now you wrote all about it. So uh, can you tell me a bit about like why you decided to write the book now, like after years and years? And also what made you choose publishing it in the way you did, I guess, the regular publishing stuff? Yeah, so it's funny because I've been thinking like my business has kind of run in the way and I'll define by, by company of one, which is the title of the book. I don't literally mean a one person business. I just mean a business that questions whether or not growth is right for the business and for every business, they all need to grow to a certain point and then it doesn't make much sense. So for me, like I don't even have a one person business. I think there's about four or five freelancers that work with me and that's the right size for me. So I've all, but I've always kind of worked this way. Like it's been, like you said, it's been years. It's been 20 years that I've been running my business and I've always kind of felt that I didn't want to grow my business in any way because one, I was happy with, with the way it worked Two, I like doing the work. Like I like doing the writing. I like doing the design. I like talking to customers and clients. I didn't want to promote myself out of the job that I like where it would be me managing like a big group of people. I just, I like the size that it's at and I would rather optimize for the size that it's at. So I've always been running my business this way, but I wasn't really thinking about it. It was kind of unconscious that I was just doing it this way. Yeah. Probably about eight or so years ago. Yeah. I was out surfing uh, with my buddy who's a South African accountant guy. And we were out surfing on the island where, uh, where I live on Vancouver Island. And it's cold, but it's still surf. There's still waves here. It's just people who are used to warm water aren't used to putting on six millimeter wetsuits. <laughs> but we were out surfing. Sorry, go ahead. There's a niche of you people that like to surf in cold weather, right? <laughs> it's called building paddle power. If you can paddle your arms wearing a six mil wetsuit, you can surf anywhere in the world because it's easy to get in the waves if you can like get <laughs> your arms up. So I was surfing with my buddy and it was probably, and this was eight years ago, it was probably like September or October. And he was like, dude, I've made basically enough for the year. So I'm going to go rock climbing for the rest of the year. And then he takes off on a wave and I'm just sitting there like <laughs> bobbing up and down on my surfboard in the lineup. And I'm like, what did you just say to me? <laughs> what do you mean you made enough? And then he paddle, he catches a wave, paddles back around and we start talking about it. And he's like, well, I know how much 
my business needs to make every year to cover like my mortgage and my car payments and put money into retirement and make sure that my business is profitable. He's like, if I make more than that, it requires more work on my part, more responsibility, and I probably need to spend more. And I'm like, that's kind of what I've been doing, but I've never really thought about it in that way. And I was like, this really makes sense. This idea that growth isn't the always the byproduct of success, or it doesn't have to be the byproduct of success, that success should give us the freedom to make choices around what we want next. And I was like, this is it. Like, this is the thing. And at first I was like, oh, this is just me and my buddy Clee who feel this way. But then I started to write about it for my mailing list, like you mentioned in the beginning. And I was like, I'm the only one who thinks, who thinks that businesses should question growth. So I wrote about it. And then I was just like inundated. Like my inbox just exploded with people who were like, I actually don't want to have a massive business either or build an empire. Like I like the yeah. size my business is at and I like to optimize for that. And I was like, there's a lot of people who think this way. And I was like, I think I can, I think there's a, like, I think there's a book, like there's enough content for this to be a whole book, not just a long blog post. So yeah, I started writing it. And yeah, like you said, I went the traditional route instead of self-publishing like I've done in the past. If you want, I can talk about that because I think you, you asked about that as well. Yeah. So it's like, first of all, you understood like that you hit a nerve when you wrote about this topic. For sure. Like you, you understood it. Yeah, it was. And I mean, that's the power of writing and that's the power of like sharing with, that's the power of sharing with an audience. Like I can test the ideas that I have in just like, if it takes me an hour to write an article, I can test that idea in an hour, share it with my, with my rat people, my mailing list. And I can see like, does this, does this idea have any weight? And, and luckily this one did. Some, some don't, some fall <laughs> flat on their faces, but some ideas are actually um, turn out to be really good. It's funny too, because it's always the ideas that I think are just like weird or out there that nobody's going to relate to. Those are the ones that become like the most powerful thing. Um, and those are the things that people talk about. Like, is it because it's, it's a bit controversial as well? Or like, like that's where you think it's weird? I, I mean, I guess it is a little bit controversial. It's definitely contrarian. I think there's this narrative in kind of like the entrepreneurial startup world where a business has to look a certain way. It has to grow a certain way. It has to be led by a certain type of person. And I'm like, that's not me. That's not how I run my business. That's not like, I see so many entrepreneurs who are doing really, really well, who are just doing things in a different way than what's put out there. And like, these people are doing really well. And it's not like nobody's talking about it. So maybe, maybe somebody should. And so I started to write about it. And luckily now it seems like there's this trend where like 37 signals guys are, are writing kind of on the same lines where like their business doesn't grow. Buffer is another good example of a business that they've grown to a certain point and now they're not growing bigger. I mean, Buffer and Wistia just bought out their investors so they could be a business that is only owned by them again. Yeah, Elaine Pofield wrote a book, The One Person Million Dollar Business. Seth Godin's latest book talks about having enough and having an audience that supports you that isn't necessarily the biggest. So mm -hmm. I started writing this book and I actually finished writing this book like a year and a half ago, but I'm just glad to see that this is becoming part of the consciousness of uh, in the entrepreneurial space. I'm just glad to be part of that, to be honest. Yeah, I totally feel you. And, and you know, like I come from Israel. So Israel here is like startup nation. And 
I remember like I had one person come to me, which is like, he's an expert in his field. He comes up to me and he's like, what he's been doing is like seminars and workshops around Israel. And he's like, I want to build a startup. I want a mobile app to teach people, you know, about this subject. And I'm like, have you ever done a mobile app? Uh, nope. Have you ever had your own startup? Nope. Have you tried to get money from investors ever? Have you ever met an investor? Nope. Have you gone to any meetups related to startups? Nope. So why would you want to build a startup, man? Like, that's crazy. Like, you can build such a, an amazing audience and community and build and sell info products to and build a very sustainable business. Later, if you have funds, go build a mobile app. Do what you want. That's like the mindset, right? Because of the Silicon Valley trend. It's like, let's build a startup. Yeah, I think it's more interesting to see what you can do with what you've got in the beginning. Like even like in the startup world, like the, the guys who started Crew or the, the guys and the, the woman who started Crew, they started with like a Wufu form and MailChimp. And like they're a software company and they started with literally like a few hours of work building a version of their product that they just tested the waters with to see like, hey, is this profitable? Like, can we make money with this? And then they started to build it as they started to make money. And yeah, they took on investors later. But like in the beginning, it was just like they built something that was small enough that they could get to market right away. And even with that example that you gave of, of that guy, like there's so many platforms out there where you can sell a course where you really just need to record the videos. Like you don't even need to make software to make courses anymore. I haven't made any of this stuff. I mean, yes, now I sell a software product that plugs into courses, but in the beginning, I just use software that was out there. And like that's, that works, and that still works perfectly fine. I just needed software to do one specific thing that I couldn't find. And I only built it because after I looked for it and couldn't find it. Yeah. That's like something that is really key in understanding. Like you can build a startup from the get go. Or you can build a community and put out content and understand, like you said, like Paul, like you said, like, you know, some ideas fall flat on their head and like some ideas really succeed. And then if that happens, you can say, oh, now I know what my audience wants. And you can even survey your audience. You can do a lot of things and basically understand what they want. And then you can build products to that audience because you know exactly what they want and you have who to launch to. It just works. When you first launch a product, I think people, people worry so much about that first launch and they want that first launch to be perfect and they want that first launch to be like the biggest splash and the biggest hit. When you're launching something for the first time, you're mostly guessing at almost everything because you're not in the market yet. Mm-hmm. Like if you launch something quickly and in the smallest form possible, then you can start to see like, how is this working? Like it's so different too. Like people value things they spend money on. So like you asking your audience, you're surveying your audience is great to get that initial information. It's funny what people say they want and then what they pay for. It can sometimes be different. So I think we all kind of want this like, oh, this needs to be perfect. This needs to be huge. This needs to be this like grandiose thing to launch it. It needs to be number one on product hunt. When really you can launch something quickly in the smallest form possible, test it in the market, see what works iterate on that and then every launch after like i look at even my launches like the first launch of anything that i've ever released has never been the most successful launch it's been like launch four or launch seven where i've really gotten like my stride of like okay this is what my audience wants this is how to position this thing this is exactly how i need to sell it in order for it to do well and in the beginning i don't know those things because even though i've launched so many products 
I have to test these things first to see, to see what works, to see what doesn't. Yeah. Also, another thing that I think you and I have talked about once, like if you have a company, which is your own company, like that's only one product, the product company, if it fails, it kind of fails. You still have its audience. Maybe if you did a good job maintaining it, but you, it's not audience first. It's a product first company. Whereas in an audience first company, you can have multiple products. Some of them can fail, but you, you can just launch another product to them and your personal brand still exists. So when you have a personal brand, you can totally like create more products. If one fails, no problem. You still have the audience. The audience is still there growing, actually even respecting you for trying to launch and failing. Yeah. I mean, that's like you're describing my business. <laughs> like, <laughs> I launch products to my mailing list and to my audience all the time. Some of them do really well. Some of them do not do well at all, but they're still there. They're still there with me every single week reading what I have to say every Sunday. And they may not even buy every product. In fact, I don't think anybody, actually a few people probably have bought every single product I've made, <laughs> but I don't need everybody to buy every single product. I just need the people who are paying attention to buy what's right for them. And I think if I respect my audience in that way, where I know they're going to buy what works for them or what they need, and they're not going to buy what, what they don't need. And that's fine. Like that, that's good for me because I only want to sell things to people if they really, if they really want it. But because I'm talking to them all the time, because I'm building trust, because I'm, I've established this cadence of communication where they know they're going to hear from me every week. Then we kind of build this relationship where they're like, okay, I'm going to buy what I want and I'm not going to buy what I don't want. And I'm like, cool, I'm, I'm glad you're getting what you need from this. Yeah. And it's gone for years of, of this way. And it, it, it does well for me, to be honest, to, to run it that way. Yeah. And I think if we go back to starting out, okay, I'm the company one like as well. And, we run the business in a similar manner, but to all of those out there who didn't start yet, their audience-based business, they know it's a long game, right? There's a catch, right? You can't just build audience out of the blue. You can build a product out of the blue, maybe if you find an investor. That's also a process of like uh, six months or to a year. And you won't get massive, massive, massive audience in six months or a year, unless you do a lot of growth hacking, which is almost impossible. But how do you treat the long game when people ask you, you know, how to how to start, but I need money now, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, for, for myself, for a lot of people, like it's services first. If you know how to do something, you can sell that as a service today. Like if you want to launch a product, then do that in a little while. But I think services are really good as a jumping on. Like I did web design for, for ages. How did I get my first clients? Business is who you know. Like, <laughs> Like any, I even think about it. Like I've worked with everyone from like professional athletes to like fortune 100 companies. And it's like, it's always who, you know, like it's always the strength of your network. It's always the, the people that you you've worked at building a relationship with, not because you want something from them, but just because they're interesting, just because like you might have something to offer them at one point, they might have something to offer you. I mean, my friend Alexander Franzen is probably my favorite story about this. So she worked in radio broadcasting. She wanted to start her own business. So instead of going out and like buying a bunch of computer equipment or fax machines, I don't, those may not exist anymore. <laughs> or instead of like working for six months to build a product, the first thing she did was emailed everybody she knew. And said, hey, and she's a writer, so she was like, and she sells products now. But she was like, hey, I'm starting as a freelance writer. Do you need any writing help? Or do you know anybody that needs writing help? I think she sent, like, she spent her first day of working for herself 
connecting with people she already knew. I think she sent like 60 emails. She landed three leads from that and she did three projects for them. She did such a good job on those projects that each of those three people referred three more people. I think right now, last time I checked, her waiting list was a year to get on her calendar to do work. She started with no clients. Like she started at zero and she used her network. Like, I mean, I think we all kind of forget, like in this age of technology or in this age of like growth hacking, we all forget that we're human beings who know other human beings. And just like your friend, (laughs) just like your friend, you wanted to build this software app who'd never been to a meetup or, or, or who had never really understood that industry. Like, it's really hard. Like if he, if he spent time learning about that industry and making connections in that industry, he could probably do a lot better at that. But I think that. That, that like that's the start that's the start of any business business is about serving others you need to know other people to be in business and so i think starting with services first is a fast way to do it and then build into products eventually but yeah it, it's human connections man i have talked like we've never built anything together but we've had communication but over the years like we just talk and like if i can help you great if you can help me great but like I just like talking to you because you're interesting and I, I hope you feel the same about me, but that's like, that's yeah, how business yeah, works. Yeah. And by the way, who would not find a man that has how many rats? Just one right now, but I've had, uh, had none. I've had nine over the years. Yeah. You have one right now? Yeah. The other one, I usually have two or three at the same time. His, the, the one that I have now, Lincoln, his brother passed away. So oh. it's, just him. it's just him right now. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, and so who wouldn't find a person who has rats in his home, uh, as pets? Interesting. I think that's what's so cool about you, man. Like you're living in like on an Island in the woods in Canada. You're basically like coming back home with like, with like building everything yourself kind of thing. It's kind of like a digital nomad life, but it's like regular, like stable remote. <laughs> Crazy. But through the internet, like you and I can have a conversation just like we're sitting across from each other basically. Yeah. That's what everybody's talking about when you in the like freedom to live wherever you want. Like it doesn't matter where. And freedom mm-hmm. to work and, and earn money and, and build a profitable company, man, like from the woods. That's awesome. You guys talked about creating an MVP in the most minimal way to test it first with your audience. But if it is a complicated product that needs to have uh, a huge user base to validate it, it conflicts with what we're talking about. So what what is your opinion on that? there's always a way to make an idea smaller, even if you don't think there is. And I mean, even with something like, okay, so two examples of businesses that need to be huge to work. And that the idea of the book and everything that I'm talking about here isn't anti-growth. It's just that we should think about growth before we go into it. So Uber and Airbnb need, like they need a lot in order to work. But for those companies, like Uber started with one city. They didn't start, same with Airbnb, I think. They didn't start with trying to be everywhere for everyone and having millions of things. They started as small as they could. And I mean, I think that's the key is as small as you can. So the first thing is that as entrepreneurs, we, we tend to have these big ideas and big visions. And that's why we like to be entrepreneurs because we have these big ideas. But I do think there's a way to scale ideas down as small as possible for each idea to test it first. Like if your idea needs to be the size of Facebook to work, there's a way to break it down smaller. I I would challenge that way of thinking where if it needs to be the biggest thing in the world to work, then think about how long it's going to take one to get to profitability, but how long it's going to take to build. 
Like you're going to need so much investment to make something that big work. Even Facebook started at one university for one group of students and built out from there. There's always time to make something bigger later. But if you start to think about what can I build that's as small as possible now to get out to the market, then one, like we talked about, we're going to be testing things in the market. And two, we're going to start making money. I think in business, making money and not just making money, but having profit is so important that if we can scale things back as much as possible, figure out how to launch it quickly and as small as possible could be one customer. It could be you need a hundred customers, but it probably isn't that you need a million customers on day one. I think it'd be very hard to launch a business if that was the case. Right. By the way, uh, Paul, do you know Whitestamp? Wisestamp? Wisestamp. It's like the, the, the Chrome plugin that inserts like a smart signature into your email. That, that sounds that? familiar. I don't know it specifically, but I, uh, I, know it, I know it inserting a smart signature yeah. in an email is, yeah. Okay. No, it's like um, they have like widgets of like your latest Facebook post or your latest uh, podcast. Uh, yeah, I've emails from people and seen that, yeah. Yeah. So uh, basically that's a company that started Bootstrap as well. Now it's a big startup like in, in here in Israel and they, start, they completely bootstrapped it like really, really profitable company uh, known all over the world. And yeah, and they, it started from small stuff. Like everything starts small. So also when you're building a startup and you want a tech startup, no problem, but also challenge that growth mindset. You don't need a big team and you don't need a big product to begin with. You can just have a form on a page and bring people in with some $100 ad spend. Even with investors, like the less money you take, the less money you have to pay back. And typically the less percentage of the business you have to give up. Right. Like if you don't need like $10 million or a million dollars from an investor, then you don't have to pay that back at, at like a percentage, right? So like even if you do need investment for a business, the less you take, the easier, <laughs> the easier it is. And I know this from having a lot of friends who've taken investment over the years if their investment amount is huge, then it, it just it, it's, it's a lot of stress and responsibility and time to pay that back. And they typically have to give up a lot of their business um, in order to get that much money. And typically, they didn't even need it to begin. They thought they did, yeah. but they did. Yeah. So, yes. Paul, you've been you've been writing for a long time, right? For like, how long is your newsletter? Like, is it eight years or less? November 6th, 2012 is the first date that I sent out the first Sunday dispatch. That's crazy. And yeah. how many weeks have you missed since then? Like, have you missed like less than 10 or more? So I always take a break. So I take a break at the end of the year. People are too busy with the holidays, whatever holiday you celebrate, there's something going on at the end of the year. And I typically take a little bit of a break in the summer, but for, okay. for all the days where I say I'm going to send an email, I've missed zero days. Nice. Yeah, in six years, zero days. That's awesome. What's your process like? Because I know like writing a weekly newsletter is so hard. I also have a weekly newsletter in uh, Pixel Perfect in my Israeli blog. By the way, soon a weekly newsletter here on Mindful and Ruthless. Launching actually, the first one's launching this week, this Friday. Oh. So it's dropping this Friday, the newsletter. But you've been writing a very long form, like beautifully put, like newsletter. How have you managed to, to make that work? Like, what's your process? Yeah, so I think that I'm very, like, I, I want to avoid stress, as a, not just in business, but in life in general. So if I had to write that, and it goes out at the same time on Sunday, every Sunday. So if I had to write that Saturday night, I would be too stressed out to write something well. 
So my plan is always that I need to be ahead of my schedule as much as possible. And for me, in order to not feel stressed, I need to be about four to six weeks ahead of my schedule. So if I'm sending an email this Sunday, I probably wrote it last month, possibly the month before. And that way, I know that I need to write probably an article a week for all my other obligations. I technically need to write a lot more articles a week. But for my list, I need to write an article a week. But if it isn't due that week, I feel less stressed. But also, it gives me time to get it to my editor, who's I'm not the best writer in terms of technical like sentence structure. So it gives me time to get it to my editor. It might give me time to send it to a few friends and say like, am I missing the mark on this? Or do you think this is going to do well? So the more that I'm ahead of my schedule, the more that I'm less stressed out. But also sometimes things come up like in your life or in your business. Like I may be, I know I'm not going to have time to write an article a week when my book comes out in January. Like I'm just going to be too busy around the book launch. But if I write those articles now, then I have time to write them now. So as, as long as I'm ahead of my schedule, I'm never going to miss a beat. I'm never going to miss a Sunday because I'm always ahead of my schedule. So even if something bad comes up or I'm busy, which I don't like to be, but it happens sometimes, I'm still going to have that Sunday covered and every single Sunday is covered. And do you have a, a member in your team who manages to schedule that email or like do you do it yourself? No, I do. I cut and paste it into MailChimp and hit schedule. It takes, <laughs> it takes almost no time at all. So I do that. Okay, cool. And by the way, when you write, what, what do you use to write? Because like if, if you write in Google Docs, then of course it's, you can't just copy paste it, right? It's, yeah, I have to edit the formatting sometimes. I typically write it in IA Writer, which okay. lets me paste without formatting. There's a few buttons in mail. There's a few buttons in every software that says like remove formatting. They never work. Yeah. But I write it. If I write in Markdown and just copy the, the formatted, like when I preview it in Markdown, it just gives me P tags and A tags, which is right. basically all I need. So yeah, I just use IA writer. That's the easiest thing. I think I even wrote my book in IA writer and then I pasted it into Google docs when I have to give it to my publisher. Nice. So, so you write in, IA writer, which is, by the way, I think a tool that I, I don't remember if I heard it from you, but I used it back then. It's an amazing tool. It's, it's beautiful. I've been using it for years. Yeah. So probably I heard it from you and you do markdown. Yeah. I write a lot of code and I'm used to mark. I remember when blogging was mostly in markdown. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm used to markdown and my, my brain thinks in markdown. So it's, okay. it's really easy for me. There are hotkeys. Like if you want to bold, you right. highlight and press like command B, okay. but I, I like Markdown and I'm used to it. So that, that makes sense for me. Plus okay. I can't edit anything. Like I can't change the font color, the font, the line spacing. Like if I could tinker with things, I'm just going to spend all my time doing that and not writing. So yes. IA writer lets me just write because I can't change. There's no settings. Like I cannot right. change anything. Yeah. To those of you who don't know, Markdown is just a way to kind of like write. It's not HTML. It's so simple. It's just like, in order to write like a title, you write dash something. In order to write H2 title, you write dash dash something. It's, not, it's like really, really simple way to write down anything. And I know people write, wrote whole books that way. So apparently you did as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I tried. Maybe you should go back and trying to write with Markdown. I just, I tried it back then. I couldn't make it work. Yeah. The thing that I love about Google Docs, by the way, is like if I want to add a link, then it's just like marking a thing and hitting command K and it automatically recommends thing out of Google. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. 
You can't doubt I mean, that. It's just whatever works for you is, is the best writing tool. Like I think yeah. whatever lets you write is the best tool <clears throat> for you to write in. There's yeah. no like Stephen King or whoever the best writer is in the world. I feel like his books are pretty interesting. Like whatever works for you to get the job done is the best tool. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what you use or what I use. It's whatever works. Google Docs is great though, especially when you have to collaborate with remote team members. Like my editor, I don't even know where he lives, but he can edit my documents. <laughs> he can edit my documents really fast. It's um, Matt, right? Matt, yeah, yeah. He's somewhere in this. I think he's in the southern states. I think he's in Georgia. I don't remember. But see, that's the thing. Like I have somebody on my team. Never yeah. talked to him on the phone. Never talked to him on Skype. I've never had a real time conversation with him. I don't have to manage him. He does a phenomenal job for me. Like, I don't need to look in on him. I don't need to ask like, Hey, are you working? Are you working today? It's nine o'clock. I was like, I don't care. He gets yeah. the work done and he's good. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, and, and you know, you invest a lot of money in these kind of services and it, again, you're, you're into just finding the right people and like that. It doesn't matter how much they cost to get the, 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 the job done. Investing in an editor for your weekly emails is a large investment for the year. But you obviously see the ROI on that because that's your bread and butter, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it costs, like to run my free newsletter, it costs me thousands and thousands of dollars to do, but it's worth it to me because one, I know my newsletter generates the bulk of my revenue. Two, it's how I communicate with my audience and how they communicate with me. Like I don't have an email address on my website, but 30,000 people get my email address every week when they get my newsletter. And if they reply, I, that email goes to me. Like I don't have an assistant, so it just goes to me. And like I do my best to reply to everybody. So for me, like that is the best. Like that's the best and and cheapest to be honest. Marketing. Like I don't have to buy ads because I reach a, a, enough people every single week with with what I write. And I I like doing it as well. Like some people, it would be such a chore to write an article a week, but I'm a writer, so <laughs> I mean, like that's my job. So I I really like to do that. And that's how I like to communicate. And luckily, that's how my audience likes me to communicate. So yeah, it ends up working out. Like the return on investment, like my margins are so high and I like my margins to be high because I don't know how to run a business any other way. But like it costs me very little in the grand scheme of things to spend thousands of dollars on my list and thousands of dollars on, on like A-level freelancers. And actually to that point, I like hiring the best freelancer for the job, like the top of their industry because I don't have to manage them. Like I could hire somebody cheaper than Matt on like Fiverr or something like that. And they might be all right, but like I would have to like spend time managing them. I would have to spend time teaching them like my style, how to edit in a way that works for me because my style isn't always grammatically correct, but it's correct in the, the way I want my voice to show up in the written word. So I would gladly every single time spend money, spend more money on a good freelancer because one, I don't have to manage them. And two, they're going to do good work. Like I always see a higher return on investment, even if I spend more on those people. And I mean, also like for, I was a freelancer forever. Like, like I wasn't a cheap freelancer either, I guess is how I'll say it. Yeah. I, I see the value in hiring freelancers that might cost more, but they're, they're worth it for my business, for my bottom line. They're worth it for me to be as profitable as possible. Yeah. And it makes sense. Like what are you saying? For a lot of people and also i'm struggling with like paying more for someone really good or trying to find someone who is you know cheaper but still good and like let's use the talent you kind of and i know a lot of people are like 
like that and me too like so it's not something to take for granted that you invest in those kind of people and invest like in in high-end products especially when you have an online business that's yeah and at the beginning like i got my wife to edit my articles for me for free when i started Mm -hmm. and when i started to make money from my business then i started hiring and like i would never pay freelancers more than i'm making or more than what would cover my margins so again, like it's okay to start with getting a friend to edit your work, or maybe you trade where you edit this. So it's really hard to edit your own work. Maybe you edit their work and they edit your work and it's just a wash, right? So like in the beginning, it's okay to start like that and change things as you start making money. Yeah. I didn't hire Matt on day one. I, I, I hired my wife and asked her to just please edit my articles because she's, she's really good at that. Yeah. Cool. By the way, I just hired my wife to do design. So <laughs> all our graphics, all our promotions, by the way, for this specific podcast is my wife. So Shimri, thank you very much. So I think like going back to your idea process, because if you do a lot of writing, a lot of articles ahead of time for your weekly newsletter, then how do you manage to get the ideas? Yeah, for me, that's, that's easy. I listen to what people are like, if I send an email out, I'll get a couple hundred replies every week. And in those replies, one, there's a lot of great ideas because I built a, an, an amazing audience. And two, I can start to see patterns. Like if people are asking the same thing or they're struggling with the same thing or they're working kind of in the same way, then because I have a direct and constant communication with my audience, they're an unending source of ideas for articles for me my list of articles I could write is always longer than the amount of articles that I actually need to write. Got it. By the way, just to geek out on tools for a second, what do you use in your process in general? Um, in terms of what specifically? Like everything in terms of the, the writing process, like I write a MailChimp, you said for emails, right? Yeah. yeah, MailChimp for emails. Like I really don't use that many tools. I publish the articles if I remember sometimes on my website later and I just, it's a WordPress install that I host on DigitalOcean because it's cheap and I don't mind tinkering with servers. I use Flywheel for sites I don't want to tinker with servers for. But like it's really simple. Like I've tried like Asana or Basecamp. Like I've tried project management tools or like team tools. And they're just, for, for my business, because I like to keep it very simple and minimal, there is just too much. Like for other people, I know it makes a lot of sense, but for me, I just need to keep it as easy as possible. So like literally my business runs off of like Google Docs, MailChimp, and WordPress. Wow. And yeah. this, at this level, why, why are you staying with MailChimp? Just because I know they have problems. I don't think they have problems. I think they have PR problems. So one of the products that makes the most money for me is a course on MailChimp. All right, right, right. right. Okay. How to run a business using MailChimp. So I think yeah. that people just don't know how to do things in MailChimp that they need to be able to do. Like I have the craziest like segmentation and rules in my automation sequences. And I keep track of all of my revenue in MailChimp. Like I know how much every single person has spent with my business on their subscriber profile. I can't do that in many other wow. programs. So there's nothing that I need to do that MailChimp doesn't let me do in terms of like email. Like, like I said, that's why I teach a, a course on MailChimp because I want other people to, to know this. And I do think like MailChimp isn't right for everybody. Like I, I totally understand that. That's why 
there's so many other like ConvertKit is great. Drip is great. Like all these other products are great to use. I mean, it's such a hard industry to compete in. If you have a bad ESP, you're not going to have any customers. So they're all good. Like I understand how MailChimp works and the logic for how they think about newsletters and email marketing is the same way that my brain works. So I don't need to think about how to do things. I just know that if this is how I think it's going to work, it's going to work like that and I'll be good to go. And it's easy. Yeah. It's intuitive. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not intuitive for everybody, which is totally fine. Like I sell software as well, which I know isn't right for everybody, but it's right for a certain type of person or a certain person that wants to use it. Okay. Got it. So once you have a newsletter and an email list and let's say you build the audience, then you know, what are the ways to, to monetize your services? What would you suggest to people that are now, that have built a bit of an audience? Yeah, I mean, I think you're in a great place then if you built a bit of an audience. I think that for myself, and I think the easiest thing to do is to build what you're being asked for. So I was being asked every single day questions about running a freelance business. So it seemed easy for me to say like, okay, everybody in my audience wants to know about this specific topic. So I'm going to make a course and it's the creative class, which has existed for probably like four and a half years now. Mm-hmm. And that was easy because I was just listening to my audience because I communicate with them every single week. I talk to them every single week. And because I talk to them, I can listen to them every single week. And so I just kind of listen like, okay, what do people want? And then I just keep building things that people want. And in the beginning, it was more, okay, what do people want and what's the medium I can produce something in that takes the least amount of time? Because I want to get a product to market sooner than having to wait like a year or two to develop it. And so I first started with like short eBooks that were not very expensive because those I could write in, a, in like a week or two. Yeah. And then it was courses which take me at least like two or three months to develop. And then it was bigger, more in-depth books, which take longer software products that take longer. But in the beginning, it was just like, what does my audience want? And in what format can I provide that for them in a way that makes me revenue as fast as possible? Because like we even talked about, the idea might not work. So I'd rather spend a couple weeks making something to test than spend a couple years or a couple months making something to test and then hope it goes well. So yeah, that's kind of what I like. I listen to my audience. Like it's not, it's definitely not rocket science. It's just, I keep listening to what people want. Business is hard. So if you can take one hard thing off your plate and make it an easy thing, which is building things that people are asking you for, then you just alleviated one hard thing from your list of hard things. And then it's just, just that much easier, which I like. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it makes sense. And you say, listen to people, what people want. How did you find what people want in general? Like, how do you find what you want to write about? Like, I know there's a whole thing about like, should I write on a specific topic? Or should I go wide and write, you know, with whatever I think? Yeah, I mean, I think that if you're writing for yourself, like in a journal or a diary, then write whatever you want. That's for you. If you're writing to build a business, then business is serving others. So yeah, you need to write about things that you know about and things that you're interested in, but you have to frame it in a way, even if it's a personal story, especially if it's a personal story, you have to frame it in a way that it is like equal parts interesting and 
useful to the other person. So like, for example, you, you brought this up briefly, but even in the story about my pet rats that I wrote, which is probably the most popular thing I've ever written, I related that to my audience who were creatives trying to make a living being creative people. And so even though it was a story about rats, even though it was a, a personal story about me, it, it still needs to involve the other person. I think a lot of writers make the mistake of, of not letting the reader in of not making the story a bit more universal or not making the story relatable or not making the story interesting enough to somebody who thinks they might not care about a subject. Cause I guarantee you there's nobody on my list that thought that they cared about pet rats. <laughs> right. So like it's, you always have to consider the, the person you're writing it for. And I mean, for me, I feel like if I was just writing about one very specific thing, like email marketing, so we were just talking about that. If I was just writing about email marketing one article a week for six years, my audience would be bored and I would be bored. Yeah. Whereas I know my audience, they're probably interested in some things. I think we make the mistake sometimes in business where we think our customers are just their avatars of being interested in one thing. And I mean, like you're not interested in just one thing in the world. I'm not interested in one thing in the world. I think if we consider our audience that they're to be human beings who are interested in lots of things, then we can always find a way to write about whatever we want, but then relate it back to them. And I mean, that's why I still like writing my newsletter and I've written hundreds of them. Like I've written for my newsletter for six years for every single Sunday but I still like to write for them because I still find different things to talk about that relate to what they're doing and what they're going through. Yeah. This is pretty, pretty awesome. You know, even me that I, I have a community for seven years now, I tend to sometimes find it hard to write to them about something. Even, you know, it, just one week where you're in a bit of a lousy mood, kind of like, I don't want to write this week. Like, you know, like I don't, I don't care. I just want like, let me go and hide behind something. And I don't want to consider myself, a, you know, an audience builder, like someone who leads some kind of audience. I mean, everything you're saying sounds so simple. I know it's not. Um, There's a difference between simple and easy. Yeah. 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 It's, it's totally, it's like, but I appreciate that you continue doing this. Like you're just doing it. You're just like, why not? Joe Rogan on his podcast, he interviewed Elon Musk. Have you seen that? Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> and Elon Musk, is, yeah. <laughs> but Elon Musk is so practical about things. Like, yeah, of course I can. Like, why not have like, you know, flying cars? Like, oh, come on, man. You know, you know, it doesn't work. You know, have you seen helicopters? Do you want helicopters around your head all the time? Like, it doesn't make sense. Too much noise, man. <laughs> like, so, so practical, you know. Uh, building tunnels, why not? Like building tunnels, yeah, why not? Build tunnels are you know underground, and that will make make sense. <laughs> it relates to process. It's 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 like if you want something, it's like a lot of people want to do something, but they don't want to do the work to get there. And I think it, it's all just processes. Like if you think that writing an article a week is difficult, it's difficult if you just think about it as that's the one item on your to do list. Like write fifty two articles a year. But if you break it down into what I was talking about earlier, like writing ahead of your schedule, or maybe it's just that like you write for one hour a day and by the end of the week, you're probably going to have something good enough to publish. Like if we don't put a process or a system to them, they're really just dreams. Like in order to get to the step of taking action, we just need to turn them into 
actionable items that we can work towards accomplishing. Because like, if I put write a book on my to-do list, like that's severe, that's like cripplingly overwhelming for me to think about, like write a book. It's like, I can't sit down and write a book. Like there's no way. But if I put on my list, like write chapter one, an outline for chapter one for a book, it's like, okay, I can sit down this morning and I can accomplish that task. It's just like building tunnels. Like there, it's not just he wants to go from zero to building tunnels. There's probably a hundred thousand steps in there. And he, wa- he knows he wants to get to the building tunnel step or the like write a book step, but he's just working on this one little piece over here yeah. for today. And then this one little piece that moves one step forward tomorrow. And I think when we do that, it, it alleviates a lot of the overwhelm that we all kind of feel and have where it's like, I want to do this big thing, but it's crushing to think about doing the big thing. It's less crushing to think about just doing the little thing that gets you one step closer to that. Yeah, it's totally just about taking action and putting the process in place. I totally agree with you. And talking about processes, talking about all these things, what are your habits? You probably have habits around your lifestyle, right? Like, yeah, a lot, a lot of it is a lot of it is about what can I do to get my work done as quickly as possible because I don't feel like so I don't feel like busyness is a badge of honor. And I definitely disagree with Elon Musk about this, who thinks that everybody should work 80 hours a week. And he's literally paranoid about going away because the last time he took vacation, the last two times he took a vacation his rockets exploded, which I don't think he understands the difference between like correlation and causation. They're different things. But I think that like, I want to have a life that I enjoy living and I want to build a profitable business that fosters that life and doesn't detract from that life. So I know that like going to the gym a bunch of times a week is really important to me. So I'm not going to schedule calls like from 8am till 6pm, five days a week. I actually don't do calls on Mondays and Fridays because I like those times to be open to work on harder problems or really creative work. Or I'm not going to schedule calls past a certain time because I know that I'm very, like I like to get up early and work and by like five or six o'clock, I'm pretty much drained. And I know that if I do more than about two or three hours of creative work a day, that's enough for me. And then if I do two or three hours of admin work, that's enough for me. And so that's like maybe six hours of work a day. And I'm working hard during that time, but I'm working hard to get it done so I can finish work as quickly as possible because I like to have a life that isn't just work. Because that to me, like for me personally, that's what motivates me to, to do this for the long term. Again, it's also so simple. What you're saying, just to break it down, it takes a lot of self-awareness to understand when are you creative at what hours? When do you not want calls? No problem. Book your calendar out for creative work on those days and then nobody could book calls with you. I'm, I think it, it takes also a lot of tweaking because as we, we humans, we change, right? Yeah, 100%. It's not something that's stagnant. It's something that you should always be like, is this working for me? If yes, don't change anything. If it's not, then it's time to, it's time to make a change, which is totally fine. I've tweaked my calendar and how I work and the habits that I have so many times because as soon as they stop serving me, I'm not, I don't want to keep doing something that doesn't serve me. And then I, then I change. Like for me, I like, I haven't had, I haven't set an alarm for probably 20 years. And I know that my body wakes up at six or seven in the morning and that's just what's good for me. I wake up, I get up and I'm ready to start work as soon as I have a coffee for other people. 
that's horrible advice because they're most why they're most creative at night. So why wouldn't they work late at night and then sleep in a little bit? Like it just like we're all so different that there isn't one size fits all for this. I think it's just listening, like you said, is listening to what works for you and then adjusting based on that data. Yeah, I think it's totally something that um, is like per person. There are some global things, though. I think like in terms of health and, and well-being, for instance, we all need at least seven hours of sleep. Um, in order to to actually stay um, healthy. Yep, that's not non-negotiable as far as I'm concerned. Like yeah. you're not going to do good work if you don't get a good night's sleep. So work backwards from assuming you're getting seven or eight hours of sleep. And if your business isn't successful with you get if your business isn't successful when you're getting that much sleep, then your business really isn't successful. Like if it requires more than you have to give it, then you need to find a way to make it successful giving what you need like if you can only sleep one hour a night for your business to be successful it's not a success you're right. you're gonna burn yourself out like it's gonna be very detrimental to your health right i think that's that's something that we should all think about all the time what yeah. is our definition of success and um and that's exactly what your book is about in a way kind of like what's what's my definition of success where does lifestyle come into the mix it's like building um what i call here in the community a full stack life where you, you want success in all areas of life and you want to be just happy um, and fulfilled. Paul, you definitely got me going. Like I, like my, my wheels are turning in my, I'm like, where am I? Like, because right now my business is um, in way more kind of like the mess of action mode than everything that you have going on. And you're like, my margins are high and stuff like that. I'm like, my margins are not high right now. Like, in, you know, being totally open and honest, like my margins but, are great. It's fine for where you're at, right? And it's okay. Yeah. Like things change over time and you can always, like that's a, that's a beauty of business is we can constantly adjust and tweak as we need exactly. to. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I, I always tend to kind of like think about the, like, you know, my freedom to always, like I say, I have the option to do whatever I want. I can shut up the business right now and go mm -hmm. freelancing if I want. I can, but I'm building it in a way where right now, like I'm earning more than I ever earned, but I'm also ex like I'm, my expenses are ever like more than I ever like, you know, I have a team now and like not, not a big team, but I have like a team of people working with me and, um, and I have like a lot of expenses on software and stuff like that. And I have like this, this whole thing is like, that's pretty, pretty much like holding me, um, tied with the margin. And I'm like, okay, what activity can I, um, can I play on in order to, like, am I working too hard? Am I not? This kind of, those kind of thoughts are always popping back up. Um, and yeah. you, seem, you seem calm. You seem like you're, you, you find your, you found your Zen. And that's for years, by the way. That's like even three years ago, you were like in this kind of like state. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, one of it is just the nature of like the fact that I've done this for a long time. But I also, like, I, I'm also very conscious of wanting to be like this like i always try i think that a lot of entrepreneurs especially they'll sacrifice their happiness now for potential happiness in the future where they're like i'm stressed out now but i know i'll be happy once like this goes right this goes right this goes right this right. Goes right then i'll be happy later and for me it's always like like i don't have a stress-free life like i definitely stress out about things in my business um 
all the time. But if that was my default state, that would be hard. And what I'm always trying to work towards is what, can, what actions can I take or what can I do in my business to be happy with where I'm at now and be happy with where things are currently at. Mm-hmm. And that to me is the most important thing. Like even when I have a lot of expenses or when I think about like, um, like, like my margins, I, I'm always, the first question isn't, how can I increase my revenue to build my profit? It's what can I decrease from my expenses so I can make the same amount of money but take home more because my profit is higher because I've decreased my expenses. And I mean, that's like when you asked about like software and tools, I use almost nothing because one, I'm really cheap, but two, I want to, I want to like find a way to be profitable every month as quickly as possible. So if I have a thousand dollars in software expenses a month, I need to make at least a thousand dollars every month to be profitable just to cover the software. If my software costs $200 a month, then I only need to make $200 a month to become profitable from what my expenses are. So I'm always trying to think like, okay, how can I get my expenses to the lowest possible space and then I can be profit. Then I can be profitable as soon as possible. And then if I'm profitable, I don't have to like stress about money. And I don't like to stress. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. Like none of us do, right? But but yeah, totally. I think that it's it's something that is worth considering. And can I ask you some question about like engaging with your audience? Because you have this email as the main format of communicating with people. Then and you don't have a Facebook group. You're not. You don't even have a Facebook account. Like by the way, people don't. Don't uh, rely on Paul to answer any of your comments here because Paul doesn't have a Facebook account. So, so it's like the, the, kind of, the kind of thing that it's like, how do you communicate only through email? Is that, is that fine with you that you're losing everybody who's like a Facebook consumer or a YouTube consumer or like? Maybe, but I also don't have, like it would stretch me so thin. Like if I had to like, get up every day and like post something to Facebook, post something to Twitter, post something to Instagram, post something to YouTube. Like I don't have time. I would rather be making stuff. And I found like I played with different platforms and I found that email for me, for my business specifically is one where I get the most engagement and two where I generate the most revenue and three where people like to talk to me. Like there's tons of people who are on Facebook who are on my mailing list. Like it's not one or the other kind of thing. And a lot of people are like, well, it's okay for you because your business is successful or whatever. So it's okay that you quit Facebook. And it's like, no, I've never, like I've never been on the majority of the platforms on the internet because I, so when I'm on Twitter, which is a social media platform, it's where I feel like most of my audience is. So it's where I want to spend my time. And I would rather build, I would rather build a mailing list, which I can basically have control of. Like Facebook could change tomorrow and be like, oh, if you want to communicate with like 30,000 people, it's going to cost you $400 or next month. Oh, it's going to cost you $800. Whereas my mailing list, if MailChimp is like, oh, our prices are doubling. I'm like, okay, export, move to drip, move to convert kit. Like I can take my audience with me with a mailing list. Whereas I can't do that. Like I can't export Facebook likes or put them on like, TikTok or whatever the newest platform is. So, I mean, in the beginning, I definitely, when I needed growth for my business to work, I would try to reach my audience where they were. Um, when I reached the, like my audience is big enough for me right now. Like it doesn't need to grow. Growth doesn't make sense, which is kind of the point of the book where I, I need to communicate now with, I need to foster engagement and retention over acquisition 
because right. I just want to keep like I want the people who've already bought from me to buy more from me because if they bought one thing from me, they're probably going to want more things. And most people do like more than half the people on my list who have bought one thing have bought at least two or three things. And I feel like it's easier to sell to people who already know you. And it's just, I don't know, it's just a type of business that I want to have, man. Like that's just what it comes down to. Like I'm sure Facebook is great for some businesses. Instagram is great for some businesses. They're not great for mine. So why would I waste my time using them? Yeah, so. I mean, I, I, I totally get you. And um, I think, by the way, this is one of the best quotes ever. I, I need to foster engagement and retention over acquisition. Yeah. One of the best quotes ever. <laughs> it's got to be using the startup terms, but in the, in the audience yeah. building way, it's like, it's great. Um, yeah, there's a study. It's like five to eight times cheaper to retain a customer than to get a new customer. And I'm like, speaking like cheaper <laughs> you're yeah. speaking my language <laughs> it's awesome um so for now uh there's a question from jonathan which is great and it's like if you right now had to reset everything like you know like everything was taken away from you your email list everything that you built with your brand like anything like that <laughs> and after you cried then um what would you do how would you now start from scratch I do exactly what uh, my friend Alex Franzen, um, the story that I told earlier, as I would just email people. Like, who do I know that could use? And I know I have a skill of design, which I fostered for 20 years. I know I have a skill of writing, which I fostered on and off for longer. I would just use my network and contact people and, and focus on services and see like, who can I offer something to tomorrow that maybe they need some design work? Maybe they need some writing work. Who can I get paid by tomorrow for me doing the work tomorrow? And then I would just start building on that and maybe find two or three cus- like clients and then a couple more. And then as I'm doing that, start to think about, okay, what are the, the commonalities and what people want and how could I productize the knowledge that I have or the solution that I offer or the pain that I alleviate and start working on products on the side. Like even when I moved from client service work to product work, it took about two and a half years. It wasn't just like snap my fingers and now I'm a product person yeah. instead of a freelancer. It took two and a half years to, to build to that. So I would start thinking and I would start thinking like, okay, what's the smallest version of something that I could release like now? Like how can I make money now as opposed to investing a bunch of time and energy and money into something that'll hopefully pay off in the future? It's like, if I'm getting paid, I'm happy. So what can I do to do that right now? And it would be services for me. It'd be like, who needs a website? Who needs some content? Let's get working tomorrow. Yeah, totally. And I think um, what you just said is called, like I call it the circles method. So anybody who wants to check it out, like I wrote an extensive uh, article about it on Medium called How to Get Audience When You Don't Have Any Audience Yet. And that's how I built my business as well as a freelancer at the beginning. And then later when I launched my blog and like, that's, I guess, well, how everybody started. Like everybody started from zero. Like we all started from nothing. Right. So it's like when I, when I went on the, on these Facebook lives in the group here, like, like right now we're inside the mindful and ruthless group, um, going live inside a group, which was, uh, as of, uh, February, 2018, this year was zero people, zero people. And I started going live. Like every single day back then, I went like five days a week live, just me and the crickets and just like, um, like, but I was treating it as already as if I had hundreds of people in the group. And then um, I started like 
you know, going more and, and, and kind of like people started coming in. I started interacting. I started doing the podcast, like the interviews. Um, yeah. And slowly things were picking up and I see more people engaging and more people coming in the group. Um, then I got also uh, interviewed on other podcasts. So, so now we have like, we don't have so much people in the group, but it's over 2,500 people in group and um, already products are, are being sold to the info products like coaching services and stuff like that are being sold in the group. So that's great. Um, you know, th there's a whole community around it and that's how you start. Like, you know, it just, this is something I started from scratch just not a long, not a long time ago, you know, for the first time. Um, and it's just, just being consistent, going to your whole email list and sending out emails, everybody have a new community come join. And I guess it's something that is, you know, worth thinking about. So the circles method, if you like, uh, and as Paul said, just like email everybody and think what your services. Okay. So in the process of developing and mastering your creative skills, when you get feedback, how do you discern between feedback that is irrelevant or relevant for you? Can you share a specific example? Yeah, as far as, so if it's client work, then obviously the client's feedback is the most important thing. If it's product, that, so I just want to clarify because they're very different. So for a product, and I'm never going to take one. So I kind of, ha there's different weights. So if somebody's giving me feedback that has not purchased something, they get like a score of a one of importance for feedback. If they purchase, if they purchase the product and they're giving feedback, then their feedback probably counts for about 10 times. So they maybe get a score of 10. But I never act on feedback unless it's something pressing like, hey, your software doesn't work. Then if one person says it, I'm going to fix it. But if it's feedback in terms of a roadmap or developing features, I'm not going to develop something that one person wants. I'm going to develop something that I notice as a pattern. So in talking to the customers that I have that are paying, if I start to notice like, oh, wow, a lot of people have asked for this feature, then I'm going to probably build it as opposed to just one person saying like, oh, your software doesn't work because it doesn't do this. It's like, my software is probably not right for you. If you're the only person who thinks this ever, then I'm not going to build that feature. If I start to see patterns in what people want, and this applies to info products too. Mm -hmm. If when I built creative class, I think I launched with seven lessons and then I just started asking the people who bought it, like, what, what, do you, what do you want to learn that you haven't learned yet? And what did you hope there was a lesson on that there wasn't a lesson on? And then I compiled that. Like, I think sometimes we look at data sets that are too small by listening to what one person thinks, right. whether it's about us or our business or whatever. But like, if, if we start to listen to a, a bigger data set and start to look for patterns, like if everybody's asking for a lesson on pricing, and that's like 50% of the people want a lesson on pricing. Then I was like, okay, I'm going to do a lesson on pricing. If one person is like, I don't know how to sell retainer clients to lawyers who do real estate law. And you're like, your course doesn't, your course falls apart unless it has a lesson on real estate law for Arizona or something. And I'm like, uh, you're one person and I'm sure you need that, but that isn't what's best for everybody. And maybe if I offered coaching or like consulting, then it's like, let's do a one-on-one -on -one call because I can help you in a way that helps just you as opposed to thinking about a feature that's like, okay, this could help everybody or this has the potential to help everybody. This is something worth doing. This is something worth building. Yeah. And I think it connects to our next question, which is how do you feel about Steve Jobs' business advice when he says like, it's really hard to design products by focus groups? A lot of the time, people just don't know what they want until you show it to them. 
Yeah, I mean, Henry Ford said, I mean, he's riffing off of Henry Ford saying that, like, if I listen to people, I'd build a faster horse instead of a car. Yeah, right. It's okay to be opinionated in, in making things. And I mean, I think that people, especially for, for what I do, like people buy things because they want my opinion on how something should work. Like if I'm making an analytics platform like Fathom, which I sell, then it's very opinionated. It's, it's based on the experience that I have and the wisdom that I have around the nuance of what's required. But it's also, it's like, I need to also think like, are there other people out there who would appreciate this very opinionated type of software? I mean, even Basecamp is very opinionated. It's what Freed and DHH want. But enough other people want the same thing where it makes sense. So I always try to think about like, okay, how would I solve this problem? And that's very opinionated. But also, like, is my opinionated stance on this something that would be valuable to other people? So it has to kind of walk the, the line of, of that where it kind of has to factor in both things. But yeah, like Steve Jobs would, would build a better cassette player. Henry Ford would make a faster horse unless they put their own opinion into, into the development, for sure. Yeah. It takes a high level of vision. Like, you have to be visionary. Um, those people didn't just build what they built. Those people actually were in the industry so long, consuming so much of the, of the talk around them, being engaged, like I said, like relationships, building relationships for years with visionary people that they said, okay, I know what, this, what the people need right now. I already know because I'm part of the people and I know what the people need. And they also validated with a lot of people. So they did, did have focus groups after they already built the first prototype and yeah, totally. It, it makes sense. There's probably products that Apple has tested that they thought were that Jobs or, or now Cook thinks are great ideas or that um, Johnny thinks are great ideas uh, that they probably test and that nobody ever knows about because they think it's a great idea. They have this vision for this thing, but they test it a little bit and then maybe they don't release it or maybe they do release it and it's a complete flop. Like some, yeah. <laughs> some of them. And I have, I have something that I think of as an example. When I live, left my day job, we wanted to launch something for our community, Hacking UI, which is a design community. We launched the Side Project Accelerator, which was a project like completely off-topic design. It was like how to launch your own side project, get a blog running, a newsletter, and everything like that. And when we did that, we didn't even take into consideration that our audience just wanted design tips. That was a very opinionated thing. We did not test the waters. Like we tested the waters just a bit. Like the idea came from a blog post I wrote about how I launched my side project and that got a lot of feedback. And after this one blog post, I, we launched the side project accelerator up until this day. I do not know if we needed to test more or not, but it definitely was, was hard to sell. And it was a community that was hard to sell this product to because the community wanted the design course. And I, I pretty much know that, that we could have made a lot more money off the launch of a design course. If we would have just like, like we knew what the people wanted. They wanted something related to design and not side projects. And then about a, a year and a half later, when I launched for my Israeli audience, the design audience, I launched the design course. That was a hugely successful launch. More than the two batches of the side project accelerated together, like actually three times that in just two yeah. weeks. Anyways, uh, yeah. So there's Anna, which is asking, like they're trying to get their first clients as a, as a service company. They're looking for SaaS clients specifically. Um, they send cold emails. They share content, uh, you know, trying to play the value game. And they reach out to people. And they have some interesting talks with potential clients, but nothing tangible. Do you have any tips for getting 
getting people as clients. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think people put their guard up when they think they're going to be sold to and when they're like, oh, I'm trying, like this person's only talking to me to get my business. But if instead you talk to them about what their needs are, approach it more as like a research or a fact finding of trying to figure out like, okay, well, what do they need? Like, I don't know what the service is, but like, do they hire people for that service? Maybe they don't, in which case, no amount of cold emails asking like, will you hire me to do that is going to, is going to do anything. And again, this comes back to like relationship building. I wouldn't introduce myself to you at like a networking event and say like, Hey, I'm Paul Jarvis. Would you like to buy creative class? Like you'd be like, who is this guy? The, the same thing happens on email too. Often. Like I get pitched every single day. I'm looking at my inbox now. I've probably got like one pitch and I don't know who this person is. And they want to be a guest on my podcast and my podcast has no guests. Like it's bad market research. But I think if instead, I'm not saying you do that either, um, Anna, but I'm saying that like, like maybe just try to talk to some SaaS founders about what they need. And if they hire people that do the service that you do, and why, if they have hired people that do the service you do, why they hired the person they did last time. That is going to give you a gold mine of information because that's going to get you inside the mind of the people that you're trying to get hired by. Because then all you need to do is think about, okay, how can I emulate why that, like if that person was hired because they were the best at X or they were, or they offered a price at this point, or they did this, or that their service was this, then like, how can I do similar? Not, you're not copying them because what you do is different. But it's just a matter of like, okay, why do people, why did that person open their wallet to hire somebody similar in the last time? And why did they pick the person they did? And that's going to give you so much information. So then the next time you talk to somebody or the next time you write content or the next time you're sharing on social media, you can frame it in that way to see how that works. Because it's all like, it, it's all a test. It's all just like experimenting in business. So that'll give you better ways to experiment, I think. Totally. I, I think that it's a, it's a great answer. Again, going back to selling to clients and stuff like that, like it's always going back to that relationship level. And also in, about relationship, it's about like how much value can you give in a relationship? You know, when you meet someone at a meetup, you don't think about, oh my God, yes, I can sell in my service. But you need to think about what can I be this person like honestly and be congruent with what you want to give out to this world in a way. Like a lot of people are so stressed on their first dollars. And I know this feeling as well. Like, you know, I had feelings of, of stress about money that I needed now, although I'm trying to play in the long game. But any time that I let go of my I need money uh, kind of mindset, and, and I was purely in the how can I give value? How can I serve? Money came pouring in. It just happens when you Right. It's hard to sell in a place of, of need. And I think it, it's easier for us to not put ourselves in those situations. Mm -hmm. So like you working on the side before you quit your job until you built up enough of a runway or enough like clients or customers or audience to move forward, then the more that you can put yourself in a place where you don't need that next sale to survive. And maybe it is working for the job you don't like for a few more months and building relationships. Or maybe it's doing a type of server that you find boring instead of really exciting, then as long as the next person doesn't have to become a customer, it becomes a lot easier to just have natural conversations with where you can just see if it's a good fit as opposed to needing it to be a good fit. Otherwise, things are going to go bad. Like, I think it's tough when we put ourselves in those situations and we should try to not put ourselves in those situations as often as possible. 
Yeah, totally. So with that, I guess it's a great way to kind of like end this episode. Thank you so much, Paul. Like really appreciate it. And people here, I will mention uh, by Thursday, whoever won the, the giveaway and, and the book and we'll send it your way. Paul, thank you so much for, for signing the book and shipping them away to the people. Highly appreciate it. And first of all, I wish you tons of luck with your book launch. Like I have no doubt that it's an amazing book uh, even before I read it. And I can't wait to read it already that I get my copy and which will be soon. And I'm going to have you back on the show because I have so much more stuff to ask you. Like my feeling is like we didn't get to the really advanced stuff. I think we can have like another full episode just about like, you know, advanced stuff for people who already have audiences or already have products. So the kind of thing that, you know, I'm dying to ask you, but I know that the people listening and watching right now, you know, are just like, you know, not there yet in other ways. So, but we, we will have another pro session. So Sounds good. I look forward to that, Saggy. All right, man. So where can we find you right now? There's your website, right? Obviously, you know, people can sign to your mailing list. Yeah, PJRBS is my website. The book is called Company of One, Why Staying Small is the Next Big Thing in Business. The website for that is ofone.co. Yep. And the book comes out Jan 15 or 17, depending on where you are in the world. And that's when we'll be getting copies to, for me to sign and send to whoever won. <laughs> cool. That's awesome. So yeah, I already listed these and I will list them in the show notes. What are your thoughts about the long format? I know we had almost an hour and a half of talking. Um, Paul, I guess like, we can talk for hours more, but I, I respect your time. So, <laughs> And really appreciate uh, all the time that you gave for this interview. A lot of entrepreneurs are just like, I have half an hour, let's, you know, let's take up. But really appreciate that you took the time and, and really you know, answered all the questions and, and really, really gave value. So let me know, people. What do you think? Do you like it? Send me a message on Messenger. Write it here in the comments. Review on iTunes. Reach out and let me know. Again, relationships. And uh, yeah, man, Paul, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And I'll catch you on the next time. Okay. Thanks, Aggie. Take care. The wrap. Thank you so much for listening. The show notes for this episode will be available at mindfulandruthless.com slash podcast. And if you can, I would love to ask you for your help. It would help me so much if you would take a minute to rate this show on iTunes. As a way of saying thanks for your reviews, I will be giving away a prize once a month to one awesome person that left a great review. Are you that awesome person? All you have to do is just go to mindfulandruthless.com slash rate. This will launch iTunes in your device. Then all you have to do is scroll down to the bottom if you're on your iPhone or mobile device. Or if you're on your laptop, just click the ratings and reviews tab up on the top of the screen. Simply write the show and leave a review and you will automatically be enrolled in the chance to win a cool prize of the month. So have an amazing day, night, wherever you are in the world. And remember to always be mindful of your time, relationships, and well-being and always be ruthless with your gut feeling, with your work ethics, and don't let anybody take you off your path, my friend. Success should give us the freedom to make choices around what we want next. This is who you know. Business is about serving others. You need to know other people to be in business.